The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous supporters. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 159. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. As when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Bravehearty. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding! Position universe. Wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Hello, I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Should be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the Big Finish episode, the, the last of our Big Finish series for now, called Mastermind. And joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well. Oh, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. <laughs> and uh, Jimmy Aiken. Happy New Year, Jimmy. Happy New Year, Dom. I'm resolved to get through this episode. <laughs> that is a good <laughs> resolution to have. Uh, yes, as you may uh, suspect, we're, it is the New Year for for all of us. So we, we, uh, we'll get to that in a second. But first, I do want to uh, uh, encourage you to subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, your favorite podcast app, uh, or on the SQPN YouTube channel. You can find us on uh, YouTube at SQPN where you should hit the bell to get notifications. So we've been, as you know, we've been the past month talking about uh, these... Audio plays. A set of audio plays from Big Finish. We, Big Finish, as you, as we've said before, has created, uh, over the years, a bunch of um, audio plays, audio only, that feature a lot of the actors from the show, and uh, some of these are as good as stories that we've seen on TV. And so... Well, better. Been, yeah, some of them are better, that, even. Yeah, exactly. Uh, especially for the Sixth Doctor, the Eighth Doctor. Uh, and uh, so we, we've gone through some of our uh, favorite ones, and or some really good ones that we've liked, and we're on this one here, the Mastermind. And we'll talk about that in a second, but I do want to let people know about what's coming up with the new season of Doctor Who. Uh, so, uh, as you know, as I said, uh, today, this is releasing on January 1st, 2020, and today... As we release this, the first episode of the new season featuring the 13th Doctor is is going to be hitting your, your uh, streaming, your TV, your BBC America, or wherever you watch it, and, mm. uh, and there'll be a... Uh, unfortunately, our fluid link is down, so we couldn't pre-review that for you. We don't have the timey-wiminess <laughs> right. we need at the moment to have a review out for the new season of Doctor <laughs> Who just yet. Right. And... Uh, as we record this, our understanding is that the second episode, which it's a two-parter and there's a second episode, will be this coming weekend. And so we will be doing an episode on Monday to review these first two episodes and releasing as soon as possible after that, hopefully Monday afternoon, maybe Tuesday morning. Uh, so just so you know what, we're, what we've got coming for you, uh, again, we're, we're as we're recording this, BBC has not released the schedule for the season yet. Yeah. So we all all we know is about the first episode on January first. So just so you know that. I guess when you're a state controlled broadcaster, marketing is a much lower priority. <laughs> so you don't have to like get it right. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's well. I mean, this is a bit of a tangent, but all of these streaming services they 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 kind of 
hold back on information that I don't know why they hold back. Like, what is it you're doing by not telling us? It's kind of worrisome, to be honest with you, if if they don't have the date set in stone by now, and we're recording this, you know, 2nd of December. Yes. How are, you know, do they have this season done yet? Oh, they. At this point? They, I am certain they have it done in all the special effects done, and they know exactly when they're going to air. They're just holding yeah. it back. They're just bad but, at publicity. Which which drives me nuts because we've known the date for the Star Trek Picard series three months in advance. Uh, but and we still don't know. We, well, the fact is we still don't know even for that series. They tell us the premiere date, but we don't know how many episodes in the season. We right. don't know. I mean, that, that for some reason, it used to be, here's the old man talking, you knew, you know, it, this was the premiere date. This is how many episodes for the season, you know, back in the day. They didn't yeah. hold, yep. they told you the titles of the episodes. I mean, they didn't, they didn't hold anything back. And now it's all this, we've got to be really secret and build up the hype and the interest by not telling you anything. And it's like, that doesn't, that doesn't change my desire to see it. I, I want to see it regardless. Yep. You're just making me frustrated. But, anyway. and speaking as an old man, get off of my lawn. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you kids are ruining everything. All right, so let's talk about what the. So now that we've ranted, no. now that we've ranted, <laughs> get that off my chest. It's a new year, it's uh, fresh, and I want to have uh, all the, that all that rant off my chest. So uh, let's talk about this episode. Which you is know, very- we probably, at least you and me, Dom, probably are older than the 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 young whippersnappers making the decisions at the networks on yes, these so- matters. <laughs> That's true. We probably are, uh, Father Corey. You're not far behind them, I think. So no. uh, the. So we're talking about Mastermind. It's a Big Finish audio story. We'll have a link in the show notes where you can see it. It's it's uh, actually it was inexpensive. I think it was. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if this was three dollar ones. I think it was a three dollar or an eight dollar, but fairly inexpensive for a. a it's a two hour. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, a one, one hour. hour story, and uh, it came out in July of 2013. So you get. I, I like to tell the date that you release these because you get a sense of where production of the tv episodes were in in this mm-hmm. and, and that probably yeah. affected how these different shows how they were produced how they were created and what what kind of right. mindset was behind them so this is definitely in the new who era definitely oh yeah and uh one of the things that really sets this story apart from most doctor who is there's no doctor in this right so this is part of a range that big finish has called the companion chronicles where they focus on companions of the doctor and so they'll have like, for example, Carol Ann Ford, let's say, playing Susan, and it'll be a Companion Chronicles thing focused on Susan. In this case, it's a little unusual because we have the actors who played Companions, right. but they're playing new characters that <laughs> right. never appeared on the show. This episode, Mastermind, is sort of inspired by Silence of the Lambs. Yes. So <laughs> in Silence of the Lambs, you have Jodie Foster as the young promising but still wet behind the ears FBI agent who has to interview the super dangerous criminal mastermind Hannibal Lecter. And in this, we have a pair of unit agents who have to interview the super dangerous criminal mastermind, the master. Right. And so it plays on a kind of the same things thematically, although this one's a lot more family friendly than <laughs> Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> yeah. And it, we also have two unit agents instead of just one, like Clarice Starling. The two we have are played by the actors who were the companions in the 1996 mm-hmm. TV movie. Uh, the first actress is Daphne Ashbrook, 
And she originally played Dr. Grace Hollowell, the first uh, companion ever to snog the doctor. And <laughs> that's kissing to, for, for you and me. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kissing. <laughs> and in this episode, she is playing the more seasoned of the two agents, uh, Ruth Matheson. And she's comes across as a seasoned unit professional. And then she's mentoring Yiji So. Who play, that's the actor who played Chang Lee in the 1996 movie. And he's kind of ambiguous. He's sort of a, really a companion of the master. But mm, in right. the end, he ends up helping the doctor. And right. in this, he's playing a unit agent, and he's the enthusiastic new guy, Charlie Sato. Right. Mm-hmm. He's also uncredited in the, in the triple roles of Don Maestro, Michael Maestro, and Frankie Maestro. Uh, right and and the um Daphne Ashbrook also plays Miss Morelli for example right. so you have and this is common in big finish to keep costs down the main actors will also serve as the voice talent for the minor characters as right. well right and and then of course there's the master who in this one yeah. is Jeffrey Beavers who mm-hmm. is a master I haven't seen on screen yet so maybe you could remind us you know, who is Jeffrey Beavers and what master does he play? He plays one of the he's one of the two actors to play the decayed master who appeared in the Tom Baker era. So this was after Roger Delgado, but before Anthony Ainley, there were two actors who played this like horribly disfigured, burnt up, walking biological disaster master. Mm-hmm. And he's the second of the two. He's the one that got the better makeup. <laughs> and he inhabited the statue on on Trocken in the Keeper of Trocken story, and he's the one that then takes over the body of Nissa's dad to become the Anthony Ainley master. Okay. And that sets up a pattern of the master, because he's run out of his own regenerations, that sets up a pattern of the master taking over someone else's body to extend his life, which is a major element of this story. We also saw that in the 1996 movie. I was going to say that's a good connection, though, to we had talked about a couple of weeks ago, the uh, trial of the Valyard, where they talked about the 13th regeneration you right. know, and the problems with it. So that's kind of a good connection there, too, where this was yeah. his last regeneration. Yeah. So this- also, I, I love uh, uh, Jeffrey Beaver's performance as the master. I've got he's done quite a number of big finish ones and he even wrote one uh, himself called I Am the Master which is really fun to listen to, but he has this Boris Karloff equality to his voice. Yeah. yeah. And he comes across as suave and sophisticated and gentle and kind and charming and ruthless. Mm -hmm. Right. He's one of my favorite masters. And so he's this, this story that at least from the time frame of the master, uh, because of the timey wimey stuff is takes place before the, he becomes the Anthony Ainley master, right? From no, his uh, point of view. Actually, no. This takes place after the 1996 TV movie. It does. Okay. So he's already been Eric Roberts. And what they eventually establish in Big Finish is whenever he takes over a new body, he keeps reverting to his decayed form. And so even oh, though he okay. gets a new body, he keeps reverting to being Jeffrey Beavers again. Oh. And so he's this is several bodies into that cycle, but he keeps going back to being Jeffrey Beavers. And it's one thing I noticed they played it well in here where 
the voice of whoever the host was would change from the original voice, Yi Li So, sorry, I can't pronounce his name. Yi Ji So. Yeah. Change from him to Christopher or Jeffrey Beavers. Right, right. You know, you would hear the voice change over the time, you know, as they would tell the story, you know. So yes. it would kind of just show that where the, the person was changing. Right. Because, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, by the way, one other just curio about uh, Jeffrey Beavers is he was married to um, Carolyn John, or uh, known to us as Liz Shaw, the third Doctor's mm. companion. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's cool. That would be funny to see them uh, or hear them in a uh, production together. Yeah. That would be good. Um, so the, the setting is this, the vault. There's a, a, a vault th- uh, that is owned by UNIT. And it's an archive of alien artifacts that is stored deep beneath something called the Angel of the North. It's a famous statue in England. Oh, okay. It's like a modern art piece. Ah, okay. Uh, and so there, and in addition to lots of things like Excalibur in the vault, uh, mm-hmm. there's a there's a prisoner in there. Uh, I should mention Excalibur. They, they 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 talk about seeing Excalibur in there. The Matheson tells. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sato uh, that oh one of the one of the doctors it's Excalibur according to one of the doctor's companions and this was I think a reference to the seventh yes. doctor encountering yes it is yes mm-hmm. this was a reference to the series uh, Battlefield which was the last appearance of the Brigadier in Classic Who okay and um, they involved uh, you know Merlin and the Lady of the Lake and all that. Okay. And Excalibur plays a part of it. Spoiler, the doctor is Merlin. <laughs> Spoilers. That's, yep. that's, I guess that's not a big yeah. surprise. And this Major Husak is the, the major that shows up in that. Okay. The, the mm-hmm. major who, who uh, is, that's a character from that who yep. brought it to the vault. Okay. Um, By the way, there, the vault appears in other big Finnish stories. It was first introduced in a, a story called Tales from the Vault which is Charlie Sato's first day at the vault. And oh, so okay. Ruth is showing him around and showing him different artifacts that each connect up into a larger story. And as we begin this episode, we're apparently just continuing that same tour, which is why she's showing him this thing. Oh, it's Excalibur. And oh, then okay. she shows him <laughs> the Dominus Vault, and right. which is a great name. I, I I shouldn't hog all the Latin. So either one of you, what does Dominus mean in Latin? Well, as ma- as the guy whose first name is Domenico, <laughs> uh-huh. it means lord or master. <laughs> or master, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, the uh, master vault. I, I'm uh, aware that. Oh, my name means master. Hmm. <laughs> that, uh, I wonder what that means. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so they're in the vault, right? And they 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 there's a prisoner in the Dominus vault. It's the master. Um, they also see a grandfather clock uh, uh, in the vault. And that's the master's TARDIS from the Keeper of Trocken. It was disguised as a grandfather clock at the end of that. Right. Mm. And and Matheson says when it, when it strikes midnight, the clock does, it means that the prisoner, the master, is about to wake up in the Dominus vault. Uh, and then she says that the, the, the grandfather clock, or the, the, dark, the master's TARDIS, it was discovered in a burial chamber in the Valley of Kings 3,000 years ago. Um, uh, and in that burial chamber, there were also scorch marks f- that they've discovered were from Dalek weapons. So th- an untold story here that it connects up to the TV movie where the Daleks mm-hmm. had gotten control, had gotten the master, and put him on trial. 
apparently he he ditched his TARDIS in this vault under Dalek fire when he was captured or something. Okay, and so uh, so that so that it establishes in this case TARDIS separation for the Master, uh, which yeah. is the the basis for this story. So uh, yeah. he they call him Artifact Alpha One. Which you know, I, I would guess that's giving him his props. Giving his props. Yep. Uh, he he wakes up every five years for an hour, and uh, and Matheson goes into detail about these very stringent unit protocols for interviewing yeah. the master. Uh, I, I love this. It's it's like the protocols in Silence of the Lambs for Jodie Foster to get to talk to um, Anthony Hopkins, but it's even more extreme. Yes, because mm-hmm. it's the master. So in order to enter the Dominus Vault, they have to simultaneously both both um charlie and ruth have to do simultaneous retina scans Mm -hmm. so they both have to be there at the same time and they have to do a dna swab and so you have two-factor bio-authentication just to get into the vault (laughs) right and open um, the door from the inside or outside yep exactly uh then that because the prisoner has advanced hypnotic powers only one of them can go in to talk to him at a time for no more than 10 minutes. The other has to watch on a monitor. If they sense any attempt at mind control, contact with the prisoner is to be terminated, and the monitor is to press a failsafe button that will seal the vault, and it will remain sealed until the relief crew extracts them and puts them in a secure facility until it can be determined that they are no longer a threat which Ruth estimates might take 50 years. Also, to leave the vault, they must both do the simultaneous retina scan, and they must be willing to knock out or kill each other if either one of them is compromised. And if you can't kill the other one, you must kill yourself to prevent the other one from leaving. They also are to be separated by glass from the master at all times. He's on the other side of the glass. And you are not to mention the grandfather clock. We, we, they don't know it's his TARDIS, and they want to find out what it is, but they don't want to let the master know that they've got it. Right. And, they're try- and they're, the whole point of the interview, this one hour every five years, the whole point of the interview is to, they're trying to find out what he's doing on Earth, like why he's there. Yep. Uh, why, well, you know, cause they, and we find out later on how they, how they got him, but they're trying to figure out why he's there. Um, so Charlie, young young Charlie Sato, is the uh, the first victim, uh, the first interviewer <laughs> to go in. Hey, he's so enthusiastic. You've got the master here. Oh, I can't wait to talk to him. <laughs> yeah, he's and, pretty and eager. He could, he, yeah, he recites all of the master's titles, uh, which which is kind of funny. Um, and uh, oh, they do actually. Yeah, I, I have in my notes here that they do recount the events of the Eighth Doctor's regeneration, and the master. Says, you know, at, at the end of that TV movie, he was pulled into the Eye of Harmony, but didn't die because he acquired the abilities of a death worm morphant, which is and like, that's that's yeah. a name we never heard in the movie, but it is it's a description of what the master's essence became after he was executed right. by the Daleks. We saw this translucent, shimmery, snake-like thing that then possessed the body of Eric Roberts, giving us the Eric Roberts master. Right, and so now we have a name for that thing. It, it's a death worm morphant. Okay, and it means he's able to exist in a gaseous state, uh, which is very important for the story. Um, well, and they also they also at this point have a, a little nod to the movie with uh, mentioning a report by Doctor Grace Howell. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, that in her report, she said, "Yeah." And then he says that he was able to get a doctor's companion named Edward Granger. To open the Eye of Harmony to let him out. Who who is Edward Granger? 
So Edward Granger is a character that Big Finish created, but I, strangely, he's not in the audio plays. He's in, they Big Finish released a series of books called Short Tracks, oh. and one of the books is called Short Trips, The Centenarian. And it's about this man who lived for 100 years, hence the centenarian, named Edward Granger. He was born in the early 20th century. He died, I guess, in the early 21st century. And he kept meeting different incarnations of the doctor throughout his life. And so in Short Trips, the Centenarian, you get to read those encounters as short stories. And in the first one, it's around Edward Granger's birth in 1906. And that's when, and that has the master in it. And then the last story, when he's an old man, also has the master in it. And what happens is in the last story, the master's telepathic influence reaches out from the eye of harmony and gets Edward Granger to use his human eye, which you need a human eye, to right. open the eye of harmony. And that allowed the master to escape and then go back to 1906 at Edward Granger's birth in the first mm -hmm. story. So you have a time paradox spanning the book. Yep. And the master recaps the events of that first story that led him into really the first and the last stories, but that allowed him to escape into the early 20th century and start taking new bodies. Right. He took over the body of a maid uh, in the house, in the Granger household. Um, and he says, but he eventually discovered that every, like we said, every new body would decompose to the state of the decayed master. So uh, he decided he had to get out of town for whatever reason. Oh, uh, World War I was starting. He re yes. Re yep. recognized that. So One of your planet's conflicts. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and so he bought a ticket on a on a, on a steamship going uh, to the to America uh, in nineteen in April of nineteen twelve. Unfortunately, which uh, mm -hmm. Charlie recognizes, you took the Titanic. You got on board the Titanic. I, I love the master's reaction. I am not a native of this world. I can't remember every ship that sinks. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so he ended up uh, taking someone else's place in a lifeboat, of course, because you know he's the master. Mm -hmm. He's a bad guy. Uh, in New York, he runs into some gangsters and takes over one of them and becomes a leader and uh, was a was a, a mobster in that gangster's body for about twenty years and he essentially Don becomes Maestro Don Maestro. Yeah. O only only I I paid careful attention to how both he and Charlie pronounce it and they both initially pronounce it Don Mastro. Yeah, which is even worse. It's not even real Italian. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, but he essentially becomes the Godfather, uh, but not part of the mafia. There's a very, they, they make a clear distinction that while he's a leader of this gang, he's not part of the mob. You know, the the yeah. La Cosa Nostra. So there's they do make that distinction, but they do kind of play it a little bit. The 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 accent, the 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 style a bit. Um, yeah. So you have Jeffrey Beavers, who has a native British accent, trying to do an Italian American accent. And <laughs> yeah, it was you a little also, rough. Later, <laughs> la it's a little rough. Later, you have Yiji Tso, who has, I mean, he's got an American accent, but it's clear from, you know, his bone structure, his voice sounds Asian, but he's yeah. trying to do this New York mobster accent. Right. <laughs> yeah. He's clearly it's, it's a Californian, but yeah. 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 <laughs> So uh, the, then the master, you know, in his later years in this body, um, manages to manages to get to uh, goes to Vegas, uh, decides to start over again uh, in the in Don Maestro's son's body, Michael. Yep. Again, Don Corleone, Michael Corleone, Vegas. Yep. There's a very clear Godfather progression here in this uh, story, yeah. um, and so 
he takes the he takes the son's body and goes to Vegas and starts a casino called La Casa de Maestro. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and at this point Ruth is interviewing him and yes. she says, Why did you go to Las Vegas? And he's like, For power, of course. And he's like, Why would you need more power? You're already head of this syndicate in New York. Oh, you misunderstand me. Electrical power. There was <laughs> but, a nearby yeah. dam be hydroelectric dam being built. It's like Hoover Dam, Boulder Dam as it was called at the time. And I needed its power for my experiments. Wait, did it get changed from Boulder Dam to Hoover Dam? Because I I remember what? both names. That's a weird thing. I did, I should look that up. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh, of course, uh, if you're talking about Hoover Dam, you have to talk about Vegas Vacation with Chevy Chase, and you everybody take the <laughs> damn tour and take all the damn pictures you want. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love that scene. It's very funny. It's very subversive. Uh, so he it, he says he eventually controlled all the casinos in the city. Uh, through various mobsters and other other people who who he names so like Bugsy yeah. Siegel, Mayor Lansky, and so forth. Real pieces of Las Vegas history. Yes, they mm-hmm. are. Those were real mobsters in 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 Vegas. Uh, then he says when uh, World War II started, uh, Los Alamos National Laboratory was nearby. That's where the nuclear testing, the nuclear bomb was developed. The bomb. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it gave him access to nuclear weapons research. So he's got the Hoover Dam. He's got Los Alamos. It's a perfect location for a uh, the master to to live during this period of time. Uh, and yeah. he was looking he, he's for trying to mooch enough technology that he can get off planet, but he has right. to wait for the uh, enough of our technology to catch up with what he needs it to be to be able to use it effectively. Well, he also talks about wanting to yeah. to uh, try to convert his body back to a time lord body. Right. Yeah. That that's the important thing to keep in mind is all this time he's he's in the human body. You know, one heart. That, that whole thing, and so that could be, you know, that he's trying to get back to being a Time Lord again. Um, and then we have this scene where the 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 master at the, you know, Don Maestro or no Michael Maestro at the end of his life, yep. or near near to it, interviews this waitress, wannabe actress, who he's trying. Apparently, this is part of his ongoing schemes, um, a money laundering scheme for the casino, which is actually kind of clever. You have a, a member of the public who. Pre- pretends to who, who pretends big. to win big um and then oh, the casino gets to give all this money away and then they give her a cut of it and she gives all the money back so that money has now mm-hmm. been laundered uh out of the casino uh but tables turn she turns out to be a mob assassin um yeah. who's here to kill this- him on behalf of the uh mafia and this is a- Daphne Ashbrook playing her second role in this as yep. Miss Morelli yes but the 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 master, you know, of course, gets the drop on her, and he hypnotizes her and forces her to kill herself. I mean, it's a very sinister uh, oh, yeah. bit of a bit of story there. I mean, it's really yeah. kind of grim. And they they express you know amazement. You can get people to do things against their will because you know that's the big thing with hypnotism is right. You know, generally they say you can't. They can't make you do something against your will. You know, they can't say you know cut off your hand under hypnotism because right. you won't do it. Yeah, as we talked about in the episode of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World on hypnotism. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yes, uh, it, which is, uh, you should actually listen to that if you want to know more about hypnotism. And we did talk about how the, the, the master's hypnotism is probably, you know, the, his ability to, to, to control other people is probably not what's classically thought of as hypnotism, but it's some sort of alien um More of an alien ability. mind control. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. And he does have her, Miss Morelli commit suicide in a really intense way. It's like, I want you to take your gun and point it directly at your face. And she's like, at my, directly at my face. Yeah, <laughs> and, it's yeah. really creepy. And 
R- Ruth is stunning, is just stunned that he could kill someone that callously. And he, uh, the master is like, well, it's not so different than what your government does. You've killed half and you. You've seen terrible things. And you get the sense, even though he's saying it sort of innocently, yeah. he's starting to telepathically probe yep. her. Right. And that he he knows things about her. And and at this point, she starts she violates the ten minute limit. You know, there's a that mm-hmm. that protocol. And Charlie's in the other room saying, Okay, Ruth, uh, time's up and she's like, No, no, just give me another minute. And uh and so he starts manipulating her about what she's done in her work for the government yeah. and and then she, I think she kind of comes to a little bit here, like she kind of, yeah. and and then he's he goes on to talk about how he planned eventually to take over Michael's son Frankie. So you had mm-hmm. Don Maestro, Michael Maestro, now Frankie, and uh, he says by 1973 he'd spent two decades in isolation in his casino penthouse. He's now now he's Howard Hughes. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's to, Be- to avoid infection. The, in, in part because of the mafia hit that they tried on him, he pulled back. He let he let his son run things. michael yeah. run most of the business for him so he could withdraw into this allegedly sterile howard hughes like environment and by doing that he was able to extend his control of this body for 40 years from 1935 to 1973 right mm-hmm. uh then he finally gets frankie maestro to come visit him come see him and passes on you know has him sign on this paperwork to pass on ownership of the family businesses you know of course, with with the intent that he's about to have him sign the paperwork and then transfer it over to the new body. Um, but Frankie is not not a dummy. No, well, for, first of all, Frankie's there and he's like horrified to see the state his supposed father is in because he's reverted to this decayed form again. Right. Yep. And it's like, we should get you a doctor. And the master is like, no doctors. The last thing I want is a doctor. Consider it my dying wish. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because, <laughs> you know, you just know the master thinks that if they call a doctor, that guy's going to show up. I just know. It's it. going to be the doctor. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, so so Frankie reveals that he he knows that the master took over his father and grandfather and plans to take over him and eventually Frankie's son. And so Frankie rigged the airlock in the penthouse that only he could open it and turns the table on the master and seals him inside and where yeah. he where he continues to decay. And this is why he's in suspended animation. And and right. uh in order to preserve himself uh from, from decaying all the way. And so he didn't see I, anyone I, else until fifteen years prior to this. So around the end of the nineties. Yeah. Yeah. I like some of the detail in the exchange that Frankie has, and Frankie is also played by Charlie Sato. Uh, or, yes. I'm sorry, played by um, Yiji Tso. Yeah. Uh, every time Charlie goes in to talk to the master, the supporting character is played by by the same actor. Every time mm-hmm. Ruth goes into the chamber, the supporting actress, uh, the supporting character is played by Ruth. Mm-hmm. But in this case, he's realized because he's talked to his mother and his grandmother about how their husbands both just changed one night, and it was the night they took over the business, and then they never got to see their husband again and stuff like that. And they've, they've like, one of them, his mother, I guess, has been locked in an, a lunatic asylum right. as a result. But uh, Frankie learned about these changes from his mother and his grandmother, and he doesn't know what the master is or exactly what he's doing, but he knows enough to know that he and his own son, Thomas, are in danger. Right. And so he's going to put an end to that, and he's called the security company 
and had them change the airlock code so the master will not be able to use his established code to get out of the airlock. And uh, and I, I guess he couldn't brute force it quickly enough right. because after Frankie takes the deeds and, he, and, you know, seals the airlock, he then bricks up the level. And mm-hmm. uh, so there's so I, the master, even if he could brute force the airlock code open, he can't get past the bricks. And so this is really a very clever plan. There's a great bit in here where the master is trying to hypnotize Frankie, and it's like, I am the master, and you, and he's about to say, will obey me, but he, he all he gets out is, I am the master, and you will go to hell. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a really dramatic moment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then... um. So he, so the master's stuck in there in the suspended animation in this decayed state until he's caught by unit. So uh, Matheson tells Sato that Frankie had told his son, who was Tommy, never to go in the penthouse, but he eventually did anyway. And when Tommy gets in there, he called unit. For whatever reason, yeah. he knew to call unit. Well, he said he called the local police oh, yeah, okay. or local authorities, that. and they called unit. And he, when he got in there, he found the master in his dormant state, because he's only waking up every five years. Right. And he found him in the dormant state, so he wasn't a threat, but he saw enough to realize this guy is not human, so I better tell the authorities, and then they contacted unit. And Matheson was on the team that went in, mm-hmm. and when she found him, she found what she thought was a charred corpse, but then he w- woke up and w- was alive, and he was shipped off to... Groom, Groom Lake. Lake. Dreamland. Yeah. <laughs> Area 51. <laughs> yes. Uh, so apparently Area 51 under unit control. Yep. By the way, Ruth describes the state of the place. I mean, she says it smelled like decayed meat, which it would if it's got the decayed master in there. Yeah. But she also says there's dust all over everything. And as soon as she said that, I'm thinking, well, this isn't a very sterile environment because household dust is made from the poop of household dust mites. So there must have been a lot of household dust mites in there. Right. In this allegedly sterile environment, if they're going to make all that dust. That's right. Yep, there's a bit of a, a bit of a hole there. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> Matheson, uh, now in, in real time, tells the master that you work for UNIT now, and she made a deal with him that uh, he would give them the benefit of his experience when Earth is threatened uh, uh, in exchange for, you know, having this ability to... To, to come out and, and you know, to, to be alive, I guess. Uh, but he uses a mind control trick to, to get Matheson to tell him a story about when she served with the UN peacekeeping force in former Yugoslavia in the early 80s, 90s, I'm sorry, uh, where she was the sole survivor of an attack. But when he questions her about it, again, she remembers it differently, that someone right. warned them about the attack and also remembers seeing a grandfather clock, the master's TARDIS, on the I side of the road. This was... This was an interesting way to do that, where they show him tweaking with their memories and tweaking with their past, and where they tell the same story, but they tell it two different ways. I think yeah, that was kind I, of an interesting way to show it. I, I really like the writing and uh, Jeffrey Beaver's delivery here, because yeah. he's he says it, again, it's in this way you can read it totally innocently, but you know it's more than that. This is part of the mind control. So he'll, he'll, he starts, when he starts talking to Ruth about her past, I mean, she's offered him this deal, like, if you help us with extraterrestrial threats, we'll give you books, CDs, and videos, so you can enjoy your time in the vault more. Right. But he starts talking to her about her past, and he says, tell me. Oh, she, she says, you know, prisoners are not allowed, or 
unit employees are not allowed to discuss with the prisoner their own lives. And he said, oh, tell me, what, what harm could it do? You want to tell me? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and she tells about how in 1993 in Mostar, they were evacuating these children. She was with the children and all the people in the armored vehicle that were part of her crew got blown up by a landmine. And so she has this guilt as the sole survivor that she feels she should have died with them. And the master says, think back to that day. Tell me everything that happened. And then that's when she starts remembering that they lived because someone shouted out a warning. And there was the strangest thing. There was this grandfather clock by the side of the road. And she starts to snap out of it. And she's going, wait, my unit was killed. And the master is, were they? Are you sure? And she realizes she's remembering it both ways, that they were killed yeah. and they weren't killed. And the master is, only you can choose between those two versions of what happened. Right. And, and at that point, she just snaps out and insists of, on getting out of the room and letting Charlie take over. So the, my question is, is, did he really change? Like, is she remembering changed time? Is time changed? Or is he just giving her the false impression that time could change? I'm, I think what he's doing, I mean, it, you could read it either way. But I think what he's doing is he's telepathically giving her an alternate set of memories with the promise, if you release me, I'll right. make this happen. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's kind of how I took it as well, where it wasn't, he didn't actually had, didn't actually change time, but he made it sound like he could do that or, you know, made her think that he could do that. And then, so when, when Matheson gets out of the, you know, the, the interview room and talks to Charlie, Charlie never noticed any of this. He didn't notice anything weird going on, any weird conversation. And that's a huge danger signal because yes. it means the master's influence is extending beyond the room he's contained in if Charlie also didn't see anything strange. Right. So when Charlie goes in, he gets uh, Charlie to tell him why he became a soldier and what would you like to change in your past? Yeah. First, though, he, as soon as he comes in, Charlie reiterates the offer of we'll give you free entertainment if you help us out. And uh, and the master is like, am I to infer that you no longer enjoy the doctor's services? That information is classified. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so, Charlie, what made you want to become a soldier? And, and Charlie is like, you think I'm going to tell you? I think you want to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> but, Charlie, these aren't the droids you're looking for. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, Charlie remembers what I, apparently is the 1989 San Francisco earthquake. That's my guess. Mm -hmm. yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, in which his father and sister died. But again, at the master's prompting, he remembers it differently. And, and including a, a voicemail on his phone from his dad, uh, like contemporary voicemail. Which, yes. if you think about it, that should have been interesting because they mentioned that it was a lead-lined vault that no radio signals can get into, right. like, yeah. say, a cell signal. Right. Right. So there's no way for him to really check his cell phone and get this message. And again, the detail is, um, so L Charlie as a kid was at home. He really admired his dad, who was a soldier. Um, he and his mom and his dad and his little sister Lucy were in their condo when the quake hit. Dad grabbed young Charlie and took him outside. Mom also got out, but dad ran back in to get Lucy. And that was when the condo collapsed, killing both his little sister and his dad. And Charlie, and this is really kind of a striking detail psychologically. 
Charlie became a soldier to prove to his mom that dad made the right choice in saving me as opposed mm. to Lucy, which is really an interesting yeah. Yeah. thing to admit. I mean, he is under the master's hypnotic control, but it's right. really interesting. And so that once again, the master is, think back to that day. What happened exactly? And then Charlie starts to remember that dad and Lucy got out just in time, and there was a grandfather clock in the rubble. And, mm-hmm. and then he's like, oh, this can't be real. And the master is, oh, you have a cell phone? Check it. And there's a yeah. saved message. Oh, I guess they said it's a saved message from his dad. Right. Mm. And he hears his dad saying, hey, Charlie, we're at the airport. We look forward to seeing you, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, my dad, he's alive. If you want him to be. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so there's, again, we have a swap out, Charlie and Ruth swap out. And the, this is when the master accepts the offer to become unit's advisor. And as he's explaining how to revive him as needed. A, a unit, a unit scientific advisor, which yeah. is the doctor's position. And right. we clearly get the feeling he's he's taking delight in taking over the doctor's former position right. with unit. Right. And yeah. he then justifies his explanation saying, I have no desire to see this world destroyed. Not with me on it, at least. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, so is, as he's giving those instructions about how to revive him when, when he's needed, Matheson realizes, and they do this really cute audio trick where it's Charlie's voice starts to uh, be mm-hmm. superposed instead of the master's voice, and she realizes that she's talking to Charlie, not the master, and Charlie suddenly realizes, what am I doing? I'm not the, uh, you know, I'm, I'm Charlie, I'm not the master. Although, at first, he's like, I am the master, and you will obey me, but it's Charlie. Right, right. right. Uh, and so she, she wakes him up from his hypnosis, or mind control, and then they have to watch the security footage, which reveals how they were actually hypnotized, and the master managed to get out of the Dominus vault uh, and is talking to them from outside. Uh, how did he get past the biometric security? They don't actually cover that. I mean, they cover part of how he gets out, and he tells them, you will now release me from this chamber. So he gets out mm-hmm. of the glass. But then they must have, he must have, there must have been a command that we didn't see right. where they do the simultaneous retina scan and DNA swabs okay. to right. let him out of the Dominus vault so he could get to the grandfather clock. And he tells them that the whole, this whole thing of him being in the vault was a ploy on his behalf. He, he says, you know, when they found him in the penthouse, he could have taken over one of the unit soldiers. Uh, but he went willingly in the hopes that they would eventually bring him near his TARDIS in the vault, so, which they did. They made the mistake of putting the master near his TARDIS in, yeah. in proximity. He says he had, he had somehow learned that his TARDIS had been gotten by unit, and so this was all just a ploy to get near his TARDIS. Right. And then and he had to wait until he had two suitable subjects to use to let him out right. to get to yeah. it. And uh, they bo- And then Charlie and Ruth realize... That somehow the master got her to press the failsafe button, and they'll probably be locked up for the rest of their lives because they were hypnotized and set the mm-hmm. master free, and now they are a danger uh, to, to yeah. the world. It goes by pretty quickly, but yeah, we do hear the master ordering Ruth to activate the failsafe on the security footage. And Ruth is like, well, it's okay. The next team will be here in a few hours, and they'll set us free. And Charlie's like, Oh, no, they'll check the footage. We're going to be kept in custody for the rest of our lives. And right. mm-hmm. Ruth is like, yes, because we were the ones who let the master free. 
At which point, yep. Charlie just loses it and starts laughing. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this isn't the end for Charlie and Ruth in, in Big Finish. There's a later story called The Cre- Screaming Skull where they actually There are actually several later. Yes. They're, so they appear, I think, in something like five or six okay. stories up to this point. Uh, so they in in the in the Screaming Skull they are in the retirement home for ex unit operatives who pose a security risk, but they're brought out of retirement uh, because they're needed to help investigate what happened to the vault since they had left. So that's a future uh, story there. Yeah, and then they have independent adventures. There's one um, called The Turn of the Screw, where Charlie, now that he's been been reinstated as an agent, goes to a Latin American country to try to recover an artifact and meets the eighth doctor. And in the process, he discovers that there were these people who were hired to get him, but he doesn't know who they were. And at the end of the story, he turns the case over to Ruth. And then she has another independent adventure where she goes track and tracks down those people. Oh, hmm. okay. Uh, so this obviously has, this story has obvious comparisons that we can make to Series 10, the, the 12th Doctor's last season, when Missy, the m- mistress, mm-hmm. was imprisoned in the vault at St. Luke's University by the Doctor and... Um, Nardole? Nardole, thank you. So, what do you think about that comparison, you know, and how we compare the two? I mean, the, obviously, Missy's imprisonment was different because mm-hmm. she was in the midst of a conversion. What do you think? I don't know. Obviously, Missy's was much more comfortable, it sounds like. She wasn't behind <laughs> right. glass. Or strapped up in electrodes all the time. Yeah. Right. And, but she yeah. was in there because uh, the doctor had taken custody of her from the people who had condemned her to death. Mm-hmm. There, there is parallel there, but then there are also other parallels. Because even back in Roger Delgado's time, when we first met the Master, there was, an, there was a story where Unit had him in a prison. And, you know, the doctor came to visit him and he got out. Right. So if you're not going to kill him and he doesn't get away at the end of a story, in prison is the logical thing. There's also another parallel, though, to a little bit earlier in, I guess, Peter Capaldi's time and maybe even the end of Matt Smith's. I know it was during Clara Oswald's time where they established there's this unit black vault under the Tower of London. Yep. Right. Where they have all this Doctor Who connected stuff. It's not quite the vault that we meet in this story, which is specifically for housing alien artifacts, but they do have alien artifacts there in yeah. in the one under the Tower of London, like uh, right. Captain Jack's uh, Vortex Manipulator and stuff. Right, right. Well, they showed it in the 50th anniversary right. episode because that's where they had the, the three of them were zapping the... Right, and it's the one where you had to have your memory wiped every time you went in and yep. out. Um, right. And they had, uh, that's the Zygon episodes were in there too. Zygon, mm-hmm. that's right, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So uh, yeah, they, they've they yeah so they've inspired by this maybe I mean because the because that was the fiftieth episode again two thousand thirteen the fiftieth uh, the fiftieth anniversary episode was at this time so but they would have had to have been in production at the same time yeah, yeah this was recorded in, I think it says in March of twenty thirteen may of May of twenty twelve so actually it was in production before that yeah. So yeah. it's, it's big finish works about a year out of their release schedule. Yeah, so it's 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 interesting to, at least to see the parallel development of the stories mm-hmm. uh, that, that these ideas are in percolation. We know that some of the people involved with Big Finish are you know in the production. Big Finish are involved with the the, the, uh, the TV show, the TV show yep. as well. So there, there may be some 
cross pollination of inspiration, shall we say? Yeah, uh, not- and they have back channel communications, and yeah. you know, mm-hmm. I, I know, like for example, when they were doing the Diary of River Song series, that was specifically because they had gotten the license to use some new Who characters and concepts, and Stephen Moffat sent him a message back channel and said, "I think doing something with River Song would be really cool." Yeah, and and that led to the Diary of River Song series. So this brings us to the end of our uh, big finish of the year, mm-hmm. big finish month. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, and I hope that people got a sense. I mean, I like big finish stuff. I, yeah. I, in picking the episodes for us to listen to this month, you know, we tried to show some of the range of what big finish can do. Right. So like we had Live 34, the first of the ones that we uh, talked about which is shows what you can do in an audio format that wouldn't necessarily work on TV, where it's entirely told through radio broadcasts. Right. You know, and so that shows a different type of storytelling that you could do with the audio plays. Also, uh, we talked, we had Trial of the Valyard, which showed how it can go and fill in and let you explore characters that you didn't get to see very much, like the Valyard. And and have a really fun adventure with some individual character like that to fill in more of the mythos around this character. We also did the Chimes at Midnight as a Christmas story, but also as an eighth Doctor story with a with an audio only companion to show you what you can what give you a better sense of what Paul McGann would have been like as the doctor if we'd got to see more of him on TV. Right. And how the audio only companions work. Hex is another example of an audio only companion from Live 34. And then this last one, we get to show how the companion chronicles work and also how you get more about in really fascinating, intriguing characters like Jeffrey Beaver's The Master. And and a story that doesn't include the Doctor at all. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and how, I think it gives a good sense of how the, 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 the Doctor Who cinematic universe, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, it, how it has this depth now where you could have these stories that take place that, that have that quality that are worth listening yeah. to uh, without having to have the Doctor oh. on the screen. Well, and the great great advantage, of course, is it's much cheaper and much easier to put out audio dramas than it is full television productions. So they can fill in a lot of details that would be maybe quite expensive and time consuming to do within the series, at least to do to fill them in well. And they also fill in concepts and answer questions the series doesn't address, like how did the master get out of the Eye of Harmony after the nineteen ninety six movie? Right, because when we meet him again, he's back but how and this provides an explanation for that although i'll be interested because they've now big finish has now gotten eric roberts to be the master Mm -hmm. and he and they have a different account of exactly how he got out of the eye of harmony and he's actually acted along there's a great four master story where you have Derek Jacobi is the war master and Michelle Gomez is Missy and Eric Roberts is the 1996 master only played well for once. Now he's not in that movie. Yeah. And, and Jeffrey Beavers is the decayed master, all four of them in one, in right. one adventure. Oh, wow. I need to go back and restudy that to see, do they sync up the explanation uh, that we have in this of how the master got out of the eye of harmony 
versus the one that allows Eric Roberts, his master, to to escape and. Or is it just one of those unexplained time war things? Well, and it's also the master, so there's no guarantee that the story he told in this is the actual story because the master has never lied about anything. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yes, you can pretty much guarantee that he's lying at any point in time. Though the narrator of Short Tales, the Centenarian, should be presumed to be telling the truth. That's true. Yeah. So, yeah, no, well, and a couple other aspects of the that the Big Finish bring is, A, you get to hear stories involving some of your favorite characters who are no longer will never do another show, you know, TV no, show. Yeah, you know that they'll probably will never come back. Um, you can hear more Doctor Donna stories with David Tennant and um, mm-hmm. um, uh, Catherine Tate. Catherine Tate. Tate. Yeah, I mean, which is which is great. It also fills in those gaps. The we we are now in a period of time where it's a year or more between TV seasons, and so mm-hmm. this gives us new Doctor. Without having to, you know, having to wait for more than a year at a time. Yeah. So uh, I and like it. something for us to think about is, I mean, if it was Father Corey's suggestion that we do a month of Big Finish here yeah. at the end of the year. And since new Doctor Who series is, are tending to premiere in January these days, we might consider doing a Big Finish month as the Big Finish for future years. Yeah. Or yep. we may not want to wait that long. We may want to throw in Big Finish reviews just periodically throughout the year. I know uh, one thing we've talked about is as I listen to new big finishes, I'll be giving like two minute reviews, but we may want to do fuller reviews like this of stories we find particularly interesting. Well, and there's there's a good, what, 20 years of big finish audio to go through as well. I mean, there's a big finish has a large Doctor Who catalog. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that very goes back, goes back to, was it even, was late it, 90s. it was after, after the 96 movie? Yeah, it was the late mm-hmm. 90s when they first started. Well, that's one of the things we brought up, and I'd like to hear from listeners what you'd like to what you'd like to hear from us, because eventually we're going to run out of classic Who to talk about and new Who to talk about, like the the so not for a long time. Yeah, although newer Who, yeah, we've got a couple years left in the at the pace we're going of new Who uh, to catch up to the where we started with the Twelfth Doctor, and maybe we'll redo those the Peter Capaldi seasons given what we know now. I mean, that that's a possibility. You can let us know what you think of that. Or we could start to intersperse some big finish seasons. I mean, we're going to run out of the sixth Doctor pretty soon. Actually, that that uh, yeah. we've, we've only got a, a few more of his stories left. Uh, you know, we have yep. the Trial of Valyard season. So, well, and that that might be a way to maintain his slot right. in uh, the rotation. Yep. Is if we just start doing sixth Doctor audio plays instead right. of once we run out of sixth Doctor mm-hmm. TV episodes? Absolutely. Yeah. So I want to hear from the listeners. What do you think? What would you like to hear from us? Uh, in that vein, do you want to hear more Big Finish from us? Uh, are there particular Big Finish stories that you'd be interested in? Is this something that you're not at all interested in? We, we'd love to hear from you what you think, and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we are we are responsive. We we want to want to give you what you're what you're looking for. So uh, let us know. Uh, we and I'll give the all the contact information at the end uh, of the recording here so that you can contact us. But uh, we'd we'd love to hear from you to see what you thought. So. Um, I think that's it, right? Uh, we, we, enough to, about our big our big finish to 2019, and as we start yep. a fresh 2020. Uh, so we do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create Secrets of Doctor Who, including Matt and Yolanda, Sean F., Christopher Y., Joel K., and Jimmy D. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. 
And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show every week. So that's it from us. What did you think of Big Finish's play uh, Mastermind? You can let us know by commenting at sqpn.com slash Doctor Who, or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send us an email to Who at sqpn.com. And as I said before, we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the season premiere of Series 12. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Yeah, glad to be here. Thank you, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. Happy New Year, and remember, solitude is sometimes the best society. Right. This is going to be fun.